0: Join the conversation. Join the conversation. You're with Kid Talk. It is 25 to 10. Good morning. Welcome to today. Kino comes with you all the way through until midday. Got Vian making sure that all things move smoothly and you will also have Walid answering your phone calls now. Always great to welcome back the naked scientist, Dr. Chris Smith. Morning, Kino. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. My blood pressure's gone down. Um, What was that? Oh, no, no. I I played a bit of a giggle when I heard that, 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 uh, you know, Trump had coronavirus, and then someone said, oh, why did you do that? I said, well, you know what? If you're not going to wear a mask and you're encouraging people not to wear masks and then you catch it yourself, then I can't feel sorry for you. Because it's the height of stupidity to do something like that. That's why. Anyway, so well, we got well, into I think a, it's a extraordinary,
1: to, to be honest with you, that he's managed to go so long without catching it. Because these viruses exactly. are really very infectious. And it's, it's yeah. quite extraordinary that someone as connected and networked and busy as that in terms of, of getting into contact with people. Because, you know, Prince Charles, right at the beginning of, of the coronavirus yes. outbreak... He caught it. He had to isolate himself away for 10 days while he recovered. Thankfully, he did. He was okay. It's really extraordinary to me that Donald Trump has has only this time got it. I wonder if if it might be a reinfection. Perhaps he's had it before. I don't know. But it it, it is extraordinary. He hasn't caught it previously. But people are obviously quite um, worried for his health because, you know, everything else aside, you've got to look at the individual's health and everyone's a human Mm. being. This individual yeah. is 76, 75, 74, yeah, mid mm. 70 74, I think, 74 years old. He's also got a number of, of comorbidities. Apart from being mm. older and putting him in a higher risk bracket, he is overweight, mm. if not obese, and we know that that's a big risk factor as well. Yeah. So everyone's saying, well, then, we hope he's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, uh, so at the end of the day, Chris, if you caught it and you get it and you put other people – I'm just saying from my side, I can't feel sorry for someone – who gets given advice from the best scientists out there, some of the best in the world, and yet you do very little to protect yourself by never wearing a mask, and you certainly don't encourage the people who follow you to do so. so this I is mean, the from same person, side, Kino, yep.
1: right, who, yep. who said you should shoot up disinfectant and shine UV lights up people's backsides in order to deal with coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so, I, I mean, this, you do, this, you've this. got to take all this with a pinch of salt, really, haven't you? I mean, a lot of this yeah. is bluster. It's political bluster. Um, I mean, here in, in the UK lives, today, so, we, we've got our own scandal going on because we've got a member of the Scottish yep. Parliament who mm. uh, felt iffy last weekend was sufficiently unwell to request a test for coronavirus. She then boarded a public train. She travelled all the way to London, spent the weekend and the following Monday in meetings, got a positive test result on Monday and then boarded a train back home. Um, you know, and what it, the hypocrisy of some of these so-called leaders, it's appalling. And this is the same person that called out an individual from an op- the opposite side of the political spectrum when they took a journey in a private car to go to somewhere early in the year to I isolate themselves. That. that was Dominic yeah, Cummings. Yeah. This woman, uh, Margaret Ferrier, she, she doesn't seem to kind of get that putting herself in that space is not setting a good example it's putting people at risk but also it completely undermines all of the messaging that enormous amounts of money are being spent distributing to people to say this is what you've got to do to try to cut down rates of infection and it, it really is interesting the behavioral psychology of this where are these people coming from what's their mindset that it's one rule here in parliament for us to legislate for everyone else having to do these things but when it comes to the individual they do something completely opposite she must have known in the first instance that she was sufficiently unwell i need to request a test but then with the positive yep. result in hand then does exactly the same thing again i, I just don't understand where these people yep. are coming from they're clearly bright yeah, people exactly. right they're running countries yep. so what what is on their mind
0: i just don't understand their yep. mindset and the- and and it affects so many people. It affects yes. hundreds and thousands and millions of people who look up to you. And listen, nobody wants Donald. I don't want Donald Trump to die, right? I just find it funny that the same man who's been telling everybody, "Oh no, it's not a big, it's a bit like the cold and whatever, whatever," now catches it. So I mean, that's slightly hilarious. But I don't think anybody wants him to die. I, I might not agree with his politics, but you never wish death on anybody. I mean, that would yeah. be a step too far. But I do think, though, that through the type of messaging, not just word of mouth and, and what he's actually said, it's also how he walks around without a mask and how he makes it look okay. And when he, when he taunts other people for wearing masks, then you're looking, oh, well, you know, the, the president doesn't wear a mask, why should I? But the other people question
1: here, that. Kino, is yeah. they all mm-hmm. took part in a very vigorous, shall we say, televised debate the amount of shouting that was going on i mean it's made headlines just the fact that how how hard it was for the person who was trying to chair and curate that debate it was for them to keep a lid on it now we know that when people shout yell scream even just talk and breathe they're spraying out droplets so one has to ask has this infection actually taken down everybody across the political spectrum who matters in this presidential run-up
0: Because, you you know,
1: can you imagine that? Because if they all end up with it, this is going to really be interesting, isn't it? Let's hope that they haven't spread it further. We don't want anyone to catch this who doesn't have to. But it's a possibility because we know that people are infectious for a period of time before they even manifest symptoms. So he could have been infectious at the time at which they were having that slanging match and filling the air with droplets. And therefore other people could well have caught this. And then there's the, the sort of legal side of this, which is... I've been involved medically in cases where people have sought my advice because individuals have knowingly infected other individuals with yeah. infections. In this case, it was things like HIV and herpes yeah. viruses, but they have life changing mm-hmm. consequences. Now, if it turns out that that member of the Scottish Parliament has infected people and it can be proven uh, uh, because of her actions i wonder if she will face legal challenge for example because if someone yep. has life-changing consequences of catching coronavirus and they can prove they got it from her difficult to do but not impossible there there could yep. be a whole train of sort of legal uh, roll-on effects from this i think it's going to be absolutely. very interesting how this plays out actually
0: i'm going to be keeping a keen eye on it absolutely now let's uh we've got some calls coming through we'll start with oliver with a very cute question actually i had one i had the same question <laughs> It's a good one, Oliver. So let's, let's start with you, sir. Good to have you on the show. Morning, you Thanks. I'd like to know why toddlers have pot bellies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oliver, I hate to break it to you, but it's not just toddlers who have pot bellies. As many of us, who, as, as we get older, discover uh, this is a thing called middle-age spread, but I think that's something slightly different, isn't it? The, the answer is that toddlers, when they're growing, they don't, they don't just take energy in and immediately convert it into muscles and bones and all the other structures that are a growing child their metabolism works in a certain way their body structure and shape is organized in a certain way and as a result they might get what looks like a a beer gut but that's just because they're packing a lot into a small area they also tend to store up energy in the form of fat and flab and then convert that into growth because at peak an individual a growing human can turn 30 percent of the calories that they eat in any given day into, into growth. And so there's a range of things here. It's storing energy for growth. It's the fact that they're a slightly different shape and other bits of them are growing at the different rates to other bits. So bits look disproportionately big. And that's the main reason. There's one other reason why toddlers, and this is a sad story, can have a pot belly, and that's because they've got health problems. And in some poorer countries, you will see individuals who have problems with parasites if they get certain worms and that kind of thing, which can invade the intestinal system and cause problems for their liver. And specifically, I'm thinking about Bill Hartz here and schistosomiasis can do this. This can also cause fluid to build up in the abdomen, and that can cause a pot belly. And then there are children who are malnourished. And conditions like kwashiorkor, where individuals don't have enough protein in their daily diet, they're on a very poor, nutrient-poor diet, and the low level of protein in their diet means they can't make enough protein to keep the fluid in their blood vessels, and as a result, fluid leaks out around the body and they can get a swollen abdomen. That's another reason why and, and you'll wow. see sometimes children who are malnourished and you may see mm. television footage for instance where there's been a famine and you think I don't understand these children they're, they're malnourished but they have a sticking out tummy why is that and, and it's because of this condition where they they have a build up of fluid because they can't make enough protein because their diet's so poor. Thankfully that's more rare it's mainly because as children grow up mm. they're just growing at different rates and they're also storing energy and and those factors combined mean that they get a bit uh, disproportionate in different bits of their body for a little while.
0: Okay, thank you very much for asking that question. Um, uh, Oliver, thank you so much for that. Uh, Let's go to Roger. Roger's in Durbanville. Hi, Roger. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Roger. uh, You know, hi, Dr. Chris. Hi there. Um, I recently read that the ascent speed can contribute to the risk of decompression sickness for free divers. Now, I had always been under the impression that because free divers breathe in air at surface pressure, as opposed to scuba divers who are breathing in compressed air, that they were immune, immune from any form of decompression sickness.
1: Yeah, the risk is certainly a lot lower, Roger. And the reason is that when you are scuba diving, in order to inflate your lungs underwater because for every 10 meters you go underwater that's the equivalent of a whole atmosphere of pressure on you so if you're 10 meters underwater you're now experiencing pressure as though you were standing under two earth atmospheres not one and for every 10 meters further you go it increases by a further atmosphere and this means that you can't inflate your lungs because the air in them at the surface is now halved in volume And as you go down another 10 metres, it's a third of the volume and so on. So you breathe air in from a tank at pressure and the regulator delivers that air at the same pressure as the surrounding seawater so that you take into account the extra water pressure and continue to breathe air at atmospheric pressure. But what that means is the air you're breathing is much denser than it would be at the surface, so you are forcing more Air, which includes a healthy helping of nitrogen. Remember the air's 80% nitrogen, give or take, and it's forcing this relatively insoluble gas to dissolve in the bloodstream. And this means that when you resurface, if you don't resurface sufficiently slowly, the dissolved gas will come out of solution because it doesn't like nitrogen's very badly bad at dissolving. It doesn't like dissolving, it'll come out of solution too quickly and it forms bubbles so then you quite rightly say well hang on if i go down and i've just got atmospheric pressure air in my lungs and i go very very deep and these free divers are extraordinary aren't they i mean it's amazing to watch should that mean then that i won't end up with these bubbles of gas forming as i resurface because Mm. the gas is only at atmospheric pressure that should be the case but it doesn't always work like this and the reason is that when these people prepare for their free dive they do do a lot of manoeuvres to force extra oxygen into solution. They breathe and hyperventilate a lot more, which means they will force a bit more nitrogen into, into the blood. They also do something called air packing. And this is where you force extra air right down into the lungs to really hyperinflate your lungs, to force as much air to dissolve as possible. And then you sink down underwater and you you take that lung volume with you. And of course, as your lungs are compressed underwater, you're going to push more of that oxygen and nitrogen that you've packed into your lungs into solution. So when you then start to resurface, it is possible that as the pressure comes off, you may get bubbles forming and that's what the bends is. That's where decompression sickness kicks in because you get bubbles forming in small blood vessels, and they interrupt the flow of blood. And this can affect any organ in the body, especially organs with a high metabolic demand and a high blood flow. The brain, the lungs, your heart, liver, kidney, for example, all very susceptible. And it's not just humans that can get this problem. Animals that are very well adapted to deep diving, things like sperm whales, for example, and other whales that can spend time at a kilometre underwater, those animals, if they're scared to the surface too quickly, can get the bends as well. It's rare, but it has been documented. People have found what are called osteonecrotic lesions, in other words, holes in the bones, in deep-diving mammals like whales, which they believe have been scared to the surface by noises underwater specifically human noises made by for instance people detonating explosives on the seafloor to do seismic surveys to do geology to look for say oil or gas deposits for example so it's not a given just because you're breathing air at atmospheric pressure that if you don't surface very quickly you can't encourage the formation of some bubbles in your blood vessels which will give you the bends the risk though is dramatically increased by scuba diving which is why it's really, really important to follow these resurfacing guidelines and you come up in a series of steps and you re-equilibrate at different depths to allow the safe release of the dissolved
0: gas from the bloodstream. You are listening to The Naked Scientist, Dr Chris Smith. Hi, Dr Chris. How do creams with sun protection factors in them actually work? Do they, protect one, do they actually protect one from the sun and how does that actually work? Who who sent that one in then? You didn't say <laughs> you didn't that? say who who it was. No, I didn't. I'm just I'm just reading it. My producer sent it through the person did not sign their name. Oh, okay.
1: Well, anonymous person, how does sun cream work? The way sun cream works is that you have particles in the sun cream which are about the same size as the light waves that can burn you. The light waves in sunshine that will burn your skin are ultraviolet rays. So light goes from red light, which is big wide waves, through to blue and purple light which are light waves spaced very closely together and then just beyond that are ultraviolet rays and allowed into the skin ultraviolet is sufficiently energetic in other words the waves are sufficiently powerful that they can damage your skin and they can damage the dna ...in the cells at the base of the skin, and this is the prelude to getting skin cancer. It also has what's called a photo-aging effect. It breaks down the collagen and elastic tissue in your skin... ...and this causes wrinkles and makes you look like a prune. Sun Ah. cream contains, uh, one very good example, zinc oxide nanoparticles. Mm -hmm. So you can take a chemical where the particles can be made incredibly small... ...and because those particles are really small and on the same size scale as the light itself... When the light waves come in, they interact with those particles rather than passing through and going into your skin. The particles are made to to vibrate effectively. You're soaking up the energy in the light and you turn it into heat, which is infrared energy in the small particles rather than it penetrating your skin. So you basically just then dissipate the energy back off. The other thing to bear in mind is these sun creams are white and white because they're reflecting all colours of light. So you're basically reflecting some of the light that comes in off and the ultraviolet that wouldn't necessarily get reflected, you turn into harmless heat energy within the substance of the sun cream in these nanoparticles and then it radiates that heat back off from your body surface. It doesn't go into your skin, it doesn't damage the DNA of your stem cells in your skin and therefore it Mm -hmm. doesn't lead to cancer.
0: Now let's go to James in Simonstown. Hi James. Oh, Good morning. Good morning, Chris. Hi, James. Um, Hello there. Jody Pico just wrote a fascinating book about parallel worlds, an an alternative fate, redestination. I'm a determinist myself. I I think it breeds unhappiness if you think you had a different choice um, in life. But what do you think about parallel worlds?
1: Uh, I'm not really familiar with, with what a parallel world is uh, is this as in like a parallel universe, or are you talking about people having a life course and there are different routes that they can take? i'm not really clear what the term means
0: well it it really means that instead of as I believe you know you have one life you know you follow your fate through you you have free will and you have one life you have choices you could have made in your life that could have been different you could have had a different. You could have ended up differently. Uh, I don't believe this. There is no parallel world choice.
1: No, I mean, I think um, that would presuppose that in some way you could exist in multiple places all at the same time and have made different choices at different times. I, I think that's, that's probably highly theoretical and and highly implausible. I think the fact is that time ticks at the rate that time ticks and what we do today really has consequences for tomorrow and the rest of your life. And that's why it's really important to try and make the best decisions every time. I don't think you you have... Life isn't a rehearsal, I think is basically what I'm trying to say. I I don't think that uh, it's practical to think in terms of what I could have done. I think it's important to say I've got one go at everything. Life is not a rehearsal. I'm Only on this planet once I'm going to make the best choices I can and the best decisions and take the best actions every opportunity I have, and aim to have fun, live in the moment, enjoy yourself, enjoy the people around you, and look after the planet. That's my, that's my motto.
0: There we go. James, thank you very much for that, sir. Have a wonderful thank weekend. There we go. That's James and Simon. Let's go Lindsay and Newlands. Hi, Lindsay. Hi there. Thanks for a great show. Thank you, sir. Uh, Chris, I'd like to know what happens to everything in life that gets sucked into a black hole?
1: Oh, we'd all like to know the answer to that because, of course, we, we don't know. Uh, what is a black hole? A black hole is a point in space which has so much mass, so gravitationally active that it deforms or distorts the fabric of space, this so-called entity space-time, to the extent that light can't even get out. And this is because you curve space-time and bend light in such a way that light goes into the black hole, crosses an, an entity called the event horizon, and at that point, the light never comes out. Now, if you look at how we've interrogated the universe around us hitherto, we've used telescopes, and those telescopes have used electromagnetic radiation, in other words, light of some form, in order to see stuff. And because light doesn't come out of a black hole, We therefore can't interrogate what's in a black hole using traditional astronomy and light. So we need to find new ways to understand black holes. We have theories about what's in a black hole. We have theories about how they work. But theories are one thing. Practical experiments to test these theories is another now, one big step forward that's happened in recent years to get to the bottom of this has been the discovery and proof of the existence of gravitational waves. This was one of Einstein's predictions from his theory of general relativity. And they were confirmed in 2015 and uh, rewarded their discovery with the conferring of a Nobel Prize for the discoverers. Why gravitational waves matter is because they're ripples in the fabric of space and anything massive interacting with anything else massive, like a black hole or uh, two big stars interacting, they will cause ripples in the fabric of space which travel unhindered across space and can be detected billions of years after they were formed, in some cases, by detectors here on Earth. So this gives us a new way of understanding these entities and probing them, and so scientists are beginning to use Uh, gravitational waves in order to make measurements about black holes and to do tests in order to put some of the theories about how they work to the test so that we can refine our understanding. But no one's been into a black hole that we know of, survived to tell the tale and then documented what's in there because even if you did get in there and make those observations you wouldn't come out again. So at the moment it remains not just a black hole but a black box.
0: Nice one. Lindsay, thank you very much for that. Now Uh, Dagmar asks this question. It was Dagmar, right? So I understand that itching is meant to attract your attention to a pest feeding at you, and by scratching you can stop or remove it. Um, So so let's talk about itching. I think the the, the question centers around itching. Why do we itch? What is an itch in relation to insects, for example, biting you and other things?
1: Uh, Itch is a sensation which is conferred on us or and carried by a very specific group of nerve fibers. Believe it or not, you do have a population of nerve cells whose sole job is to make you itch. And they are distributed all over the body surface and inside the body in some cases. And when a sensation of itch is detected, what is happening is that those nerves coming from that part of the body have gone active and they are signaling to the spinal cord that the part of the body that they supply is being irritated so you therefore get in your spinal cord a signal of where on the body surface this is happening and it's being told and this area itches and that's then sent onto your brain and it's there to attract your attention. And I guarantee everyone listening to this now, I'm talking about this, will now be thinking, oh, I feel a bit itchy. And people will will be scratching themselves (laughs) because there's a very strong psychological element to this as well. And the reason it has evolved is to defend us from invaders, parasites and other threats. Basically, Uh... if there are things trying to burrow through your skin, biting insects that are going to spread a disease to you like malaria from a mosquito, you need to know about it. So your body has evolved this mechanism to draw your attention to a part of its surface that is under threat and the kinds of stimuli that activate those itch nerves are the kinds of things I've outlined, things that have the potential to damage your skin, infect you with things, or under certain circumstances just cause irritation chemically. You would then reach to that body part and you scratch it. Why does scratching work? Because what scientists have discovered is that when you cause pain in the skin and and scratching is producing a small amount of pain, the pain nerves go to the same point in the spinal cord that the itch nerves do and they actually squirt nerve transmitters onto the itch nerves and turn them off. So itching gets your attention, scratching inhibits the itching nerves but also, by the time you're scratching something, you're now paying attention to the body part that was itching, so you're therefore conscious of something, or you've batted away the mosquito or the, the worm or whatever was trying to get into you, and you've focused on that body part that your body needed you to pay attention to. So itching is very, very useful, but when it gets out of control in conditions like eczema... Obviously, it becomes very destructive and extremely psychologically disturbing. But people who have bad eczema are driven mad by itch. So it's a big priority also coming up with treatments that can make us itch a bit less. And and there are some uh, avenues of research that are trying to find better anti-itching drugs.
0: Chris, as always, great chatting to you, sir. We must have a fabulous weekend and we'll chat next week.
1: I'm already looking forward to it. Thanks for the great questions, everyone, and have a lovely weekend.